Hello there and welcome to the Central Stats Podcast. My name's Adam Radford. With me all the way from Sandbach in England is Kieran Seymour. Hello. And from Newcastle under Lyme, the Riviera of the Northwest or the Midlands or wherever the heck it is, Alex, is Alex Najad. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah, hello. The only, the only thing, I think there's one thing that unifies everybody from the Midlands and that's if you insist it's actually in the North. I don't know if that boils your blood. I like to say that we're in the North Midlands, not the West Midlands. But um, oh, the North Midlands. I suppose no one knows where it is, and we get confused with Newcastle upon Tyne all the time. So, one of one of one of life's great unsolved mysteries. And uh, Kieran, we're on uh, social media now, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are indeed. I've been busy setting up social media channels this week. We've entered Facebook and Twitter, and we've got we've amassed a huge following of uh, over twenty people on Facebook, which is. Uh, no, no, jokes aside, um, that's a good start. Follow us on uh, Facebook, just type at Centrist Dads, and same on Twitter, at Centrist Dads. We'll obviously post when we have the latest podcasts out there, and and uh, you can fire any questions or anything you want us to discuss as well. We're available on all good streaming platforms for podcasts and please do just rate us like us subscribe leave a review you can throw it our way if you want be positive ideally but please do just like review listen and and spread the word about the centrist ads if there are any complaints just like at kieran and send them all his way. He, he said he's more, he's more than happy to take all of those speaking of trump alex i think you've got something nice and meaty and trump flavored which sounds worse the more i think about trump flavored you got something relating to him to kick us off i think yeah so i think it's important to go to just go through before the inauguration the biden inauguration was the 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 trump the end of the trump presidency and he had his military um ceremony where he waved goodbye to his presidency and he told that all his supporters uh, the tickets that he gave away which was offering five free tickets that told you everything you needed to know about that farewell ceremony um, and he told his supporters that goodbye, we love you, and we'll be with you where wherever you go. So I think that's the, I think that's the worst thing is about it that Donald Trump does feel like he is a part of us all now, and it's been one hell of a one hell of a ride. I mean, when you look at his inauguration speech, America First and American Carnage, which is absolutely stunning in terms of inauguration, in terms of a speech, and that's how really the die was cast, I feel, with the whole of his presidency, which was just carnage in itself, a dire period in American history, modern American history, you have to feel. And you look at the, you know, you have to look at the actual end of the, the, the Trump presidency and the federal government in terms of the federal administrative process in terms of America. It's got, it's been, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's America's more polarized. He's spread misinformation. He's botched the federal response to the pandemic. He's sought to erode the faith and democracy. He's overturning the. He's tried to overturn the election results since November, and he's done nothing else in between then. And over four hundred thousand Americans are dead. So I mean, it's been one hell of a one hell of a ride for the guy. I thought. I thought he was. He said he was like the best president ever. Maybe with the exception of Lincoln. Was that the line? I don't oh, no, know. Oh, no, he's done more for he done more for African Americans than any other president, maybe with the exception of Lincoln. Actually, I think that's where I'm getting confused. I mean, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's probably compared himself to Harrison Ford in Air Force One, or the, um, the president in Independence Day. I was um, I was under the impression that the outgoing president 
always attends the inauguration of the incoming president. Alex, you you know more than me. Is that is that sort of the protocol? Is that what's what's done? It's not a protocol, and you've got to look at it this way. The last time this happened was Andrew Johnson. He snubbed the inauguration that he of his successor, and you've got to look at it in this way that he's, 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 he thinks that he's, he's achieved all these great things now, but that history does not look upon one-term presidents kindly. And I don't think history will look upon him too kindly. With him snubbing the inauguration, it makes him just look very petty and just a, just a very immature move, really. One of the fascinating things I found to read about was uh, QAnon. And, oh, is that how you pronounce it? QAnon? QAnon? I don't know what, how they pronounce themselves. The uproar from that movement this week was fascinating. I, I didn't go on the uh, Parler app or anything. I'm pleased to say I'm not not a member. But I did read a lot about it. And then apparently there was absolute uproar, uproar amongst them saying they, they feel that they've been stabbed in the back. The great moment didn't come when the inauguration happened. Everything was, was shut down. Uh, you know, QAnon were going to storm and, and seize, seize power. And nothing happened. And it's just fascinating to, to, it's going to be fascinating to see what that movement does now. The whole point of conspiracies is that they'll just make something else up and facts are irrelevant. He's, he's just gone out with such a whimper, really. Compared to the last four years, I was looking at photographs of key moments from the last four years. And you kind of look back at it and just go, did that really happen? And it's fascinating to see, but what he does next, I, I imagine he'll go quiet for a little bit and work out what he's going to do. But I read somewhere that he has already been thinking about uh, creating another political party. Um, one of the names I saw floated around was the Patriot Party, uh, which which might have some implications for the American football team, the New England Patriots, because I don't, don't know if they'd want to be associated with the Donald Trump political party, but... That throws up some fascinating prospects of what does that mean for the Republicans? Um, surely Trump's not going to take all the votes. And then if you've got a split vote between the Republicans, Democrats are laughing. I don't know how seriously to take Trump's claim that he's going to go and create a new party or whether it's just kind of a, a stroppy, right, I'm going to take my ball and go home kind of thing. Like you say, you know, it's going to be paved the way for for the Democrats. I, I'd read the uh, the BBC fact check of his, of his speech. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. Like when he said they produced two vaccines. No, they didn't. This 450 miles of powerful new wall. That's a lie. You know, it just it just goes on and on and on. And and I just think he's he's a prime God. merchant. Is somebody who repeats the lies over and over and over until I'm convinced he believes it. The QAnon people certainly believe it because they believe he is the savior. And the Clintons are the centre of some global satanic child sex ring, which is mad. On inauguration day, authorities were going to swoop in and all the key figures in this in this conspiracy, the Clintons and, and even now uh, the Bushes, um, they were all going to be executed on orders of Trump. Yeah, they were in complete disarray when that didn't happen. And I just got to wonder, like, the electoral coalitions that you make. I know last time we spoke about the electoral coalitions that the Tories made at the last election. Is this going to be a significant enough voter base for the Republicans to try and placate in the future? The QAnon conspiracy theorists who have been obviously going online and saying, well, we've lost family, we've lost friendships, people have turned their backs on us uh, because of the conspiracy theories that we've gone along with. And we've been patriots and this is how we're being treated. But you've got to look at the only Republican congresswoman who is also a QAnon supporter. 
and uh, subscribe to those theories is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And she has today released a video saying that she's filed an impeachment article against President Biden. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, for what? What has he done? That he's stolen an election. He's rigged an election. He's gone against great patriots. And we've got to remember is that the 74 million people did vote for Donald Trump. And that was 12 million votes that he put on when no one said that he could gain these votes. And he did appallingly in the 2018 midterms. There was some key races which he was able to hold on into the Republicans. But apart from that, they did very poorly. The Democrats only doubled their vote over them. And, you know, you've got to look at the, the GOP situation, Adam, which you mentioned, and how they're utterly divided. What is that Republican vote, that 74 million? What is the actual Trump vote there is it 25 percent is it 35 percent is it it's a significant you've got to imagine it's a significant number which could deny get significant gains in the 2018 the 2024 uh, elections i should say and you've got to look at uh, mitch mcconnell kevin mccarthy mike pence they all did not attend trump's farewell ceremony and they chose to go to the by President Biden inauguration. The guy is now just an isolated figure. He's got no Twitter, no Facebook, facing charges from the Senate. And he could well, if he is impeached and does face charges, these are very significant. And he could be barred from holding or running for public office again. And his party is just utterly divided with this. So it's not automatic already to say that the Republicans are going to automatically make gains if they're divided in the, in the elections in two years' time. How much of a contrast was Biden's incoming speech to Trump's outgoing speech? It's quite sad, this. As I was listening to it, I kind of had a bit of a goosebump moment. Uh, got a bit, not emotional, but you know when you just get a bit like, oh, where did that come from? And I think it was just finally just a president that we don't have to worry about for four years and it's over and you can't just rig the system to, to uh, and and cool electoral fraud when there isn't any you know because it was it was a nervy few months it really was with, with wondering what on earth is he going to do in his last two months and um so yeah it was really really nice to 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 see um it happen the way it did and yeah for me I'll, you know i'll let you guys I'll, I'll speak a bit more about biden in, in a bit but um the actual inauguration yeah great and it was a shame it had to be done in such a military state operation outside of the event but um yeah here's to four years of just boring you know nice non-confrontational uh, uh, president please that that would be that would be great i don't i don't know if i'd say he's setting up for a boring four years i'd say less volatile than trump more predictable um, he doesn't he doesn't sort of decry things as being fake news and, you know, alternative facts and any of this nonsense, which is more damaging than I can possibly adequately put into words, completely eroding sources of authority, because then everything's on the same playing level. And then you get people believing Trump is going to save the children in an international satanic paedophile ring, you know, because because why because why can't that be true? Because because why should we why should we trust authoritative sources? The, the, the coverage in Spain was was really quite interesting. He has an approval rating, not that he would care amongst um, Spanish citizens, about 11 percent. And they're almost all voters for the far right party here, Fox. Um, even the Conservative Party in Spain supporters of that party really 
don't like him. When he was getting in Marine One to leave the White House, there was a there was a problem with the microphones, and it was just hearing. It was just picking up the helicopter engine, and uh, and they said it doesn't really make much difference anyway because there's going to be nothing of substance to what he's saying. This is on the news. There's going to be nothing of substance to what he's saying because it's all going to be lies because he's he's upset that he's lost. Was pretty much the the gist of what they were saying on this news channel, and. Yeah, I, I, I could obviously I couldn't hear what he was saying. I could see his his mouth moving, so I presumed he was talking nonsense. I could just about make out his little hands if I squinted. But he just he's gonna go down. I think it's just the guy who couldn't accept he had lost. Maybe they're just not that into you, Donald. I think he'll take this resentment to the grave that the election was stolen from him. You know, when Alex was speaking about him saying, I love you, we love you, you're very special. It is so disingenuous. He he doesn't give two about the people he's addressing except for winning their vote. Otherwise, he would have enacted policies that would have actually helped them out. He wouldn't have given tax breaks to only the very richest, for example. He wouldn't have threatened the healthcare of the very poorest. Like, he he's really not the you know, the people's friend. And you think, God, I like, I don't know where to begin with how much I loathe. He's not the people's friend. He's the people's fiend. <laughs> you were saying, Adam, there about the, the, the Spanish voters in, in, obviously in Spain, and that with the Latino voters in Florida, which obviously have turned Florida into Trump country now because of the perceived connotations of Democrats being radical socialists. And obviously that makes them communists, which essentially makes them friends with Fidel Castro. So Trump has successfully engineered that vote in his direction. But I think it's it's important to to notice as well with the with the Biden inauguration. Such a sort lifting to hear Amanda Gorman. Listen to her. Obviously, Kamala Harris, who is now the first woman vice president. It was such a historical goosebump moment, and it was just just brilliant. Unity at the heart of the the Joe Biden speech, and how he needs to use unity in the in the challenges ahead in the years ahead whether that be tackling the pandemic and the climate emergency as well, which was Trump neglected. And unity is obviously going to be, is going to be that you're going to be needed to successfully get these things, uh, get the, all this in place, as well as tackling the white supremacists and QAnon. He's going to need, he's going to need all these strong words and, the USA needs to be again, once again, I mean, just I know it's very cliche, but as Ronald Reagan used to call it, the shining city on the hill. It isn't that anymore. I mean, I'm not obviously a fan of Reagan, but historically, but it's it, it needs to get back to being to a place where untruths are challenged and the truth is is accepted, common understanding understanding of what's right and wrong. And I think that's that it, America needs to get back to that place to restore its faith in its politics. He's obviously made big promises with his speech of being a president for all Americans and whether he's able to successfully be the president that can be a president for those that voted for him and did not vote for him. Because President Biden, he's got commitments and he's got commitments to honour with the the more progressive and left-wing members of the Democratic Voting Coalition that obviously associated with with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders' voters. He's obviously got to live up to their expectations and introduce this minimum wage and make climate change a real policy platform and obviously more racial equality. He's, he's got to really reach out to those voters first, you'd say. Though it was a unifying speech, he can't really prioritise at the moment. I don't think it's possible at the moment to prioritise the, the, 
the voters that did not vote for him, especially those rural American voters that live in the, the, the Midwest and small towns. But obviously, I think the speech is certainly a message and a starting point to, start to uh, forge in a great American story once again. For me, there it's sort of a couple of things I was feeling as I was watching Biden's speech. The first one is, oh, my God, there's an adult back at the helm. Oh, this is what it looks like when the president of the United States is speaking, because I know that we could, we can wrangle about, you know, the rights and wrongs about America being the world's police. And the reality is, if they're not the world's police, somebody else will step up and take that role. Russia, China, they can't go back to being um, isolationist, whether deliberately or just through alienating all of their allies, which is what Trump was doing a very good job. If, you, if you're not sycophantic, if you don't toe the line, he'll he'll alienate you. You know, look at what he was saying about um, funding for NATO. So the first thing was, yeah, thank goodness there's an adult at the helm. The second thing is I'm really excited to see what America can become in hopefully a pretty short space of time. When it comes to fighting climate change, it can't be done without America. Vast resources and the intellectual and the engineering know-how of America can really see it lead renewable energy, production, research, when it comes to international aid and peacekeeping. Like, it could use its superpower status for so much more than we saw under Trump and that we saw under Obama, to be to be perfectly frank. I think you're right, Alex. I think we're going to see some moves by Biden to placate those further on the left, perhaps people whose votes he's going to have to rely on to get some stickier issues through. He can try and win them earlier on with some hard-hitting policies. Like the fact that the federal minimum wage hasn't budged for donkey's years is appalling. And who knows, he might even end up picking some more votes from some blue-collar Republican voters you know, down the line. I hold I hold America in this very special place. I don't know if you've if you've read much about the American War of Independence and about, you know, Thomas Paine and how people were were reading common sense and they was they were hiding copies and they were doing secret group, you know, readings of, of it. The ideal of America that it wouldn't be ruled by monarchs compared to the old world. And that it could be the shining beacon. There are all sorts of things that it did where it didn't live up to that at all. But the status of America as this as this thing that we can aspire to is more powerful than any one policy. It can lead if it wants to lead. It's got the resources. It's got the intellectual know-how. It's got the the labor power. It's got the economic clout, the military clout. Yeah, uh, well said, Adam. I think that's a really good, really good summary, to be honest. My kind of final points on it would be that, um, yeah, you, you're right, boring's the wrong word. He kind of strikes me as that figure, a Dumbledore, a Gandalf, a, a Yoda, you know, that, that, that wise, trusted hand. He's pivotal to what happens and he guides the, the characters through their journey. I, I am well up for a Gandalf Yoda 2024 ticket. The thing is, it would probably win. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, um, looking forward to the presidency, yeah, I think some of the positives already, the changes to the, the, the White House website within hours were, were amazing. Um, bringing back climate change references and policy that, that Trump had deleted and putting them straight underneath COVID. I think as international not americans that's what we want to see we need america to lead on climate change i think we've all said it 
appreciate COVID's going to be sorted first, but they've got to do it. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's not going to be good. But that's a topic for another time. And uh, another my my final point really is is uh, as well as the big issues is I've seen that they might the Democrats might be looking to uh, get rid of um, filibustering in 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 the House, which would be really interesting. Um, and McConnell's already kind of kicking off about it, but uh, you know I, he's saying that that would seriously hamper the um, the opposition. Think it should be looked at because it's not good debating at all and it stops policy. And also another question I'm really interested in is the Supreme Court um, and whether because they've got the, the balance of power and well they've got more than the balance of power they hold the power in all three um, institutions and whether they look to even that out by adding a couple more Supreme judges, which you know I'm would think is a, a wise move but i'm sure there's plenty in america who would disagree is this packing the courts is it because you can add more yes, judges packing the courts, yeah is there a risk though we had two judges this time the republicans come in we'll add three judges the dems come in again we'll have four judges that is a risk but i think um i think it's going to probably depend on how the, the supreme court perhaps behave and if they start blocking things or or being difficult that's when i think you might see it i don't think you'll just do it but yeah that is a danger with it absolutely maybe we'll see some retirement from a couple of the older democratic judges to make way for for younger ones because trump's supreme court nominations are they're all young they're all young they're going to be there for decades the risk is you know that we don't know what's going to happen at the ballot box in four years time or eight years time I, I would I would bet my right arm that Supreme Court justices are gonna die from old age because they're getting on. And if a Republican's at the helm when they die, they're gonna put in a conservative judge. Cash your chips in now, retire, make way for a successor, maybe you know, maybe say for the outgoing judges, do you have anyone particular in mind? I I wonder if that's more likely to happen. If I'd be worried about packing the court would end up with inflation. We'd see this back and forth and back and forth. That sort of instability and inconsistency in the most powerful court in the land, I think, is something which would be best avoided. Do you think that is Trump's enduring legacy, that he had three picks for the Supreme Court? Picks that are for a generation, and these are uber-conservative picks that he chose. Let's not forget Brett Kavanaugh came with a lot of baggage. Amy Coney Barrett was... There was a lot of bad blood with her pick. Um, do you think that's his? Do you think that's his enduring legacy, really? Yes. Yeah. No. Very well. Could be because that is one thing that's definitely going to stick around for a long time. It's a good point with having more progressive, younger Supreme uh, Court picks. That perhaps that's an opportunity for the Biden administration. I think just to stick with the analogies, I mean, it just felt like such a relief, didn't it, with the with the Biden as he was sworn in? It did feel like the empire had just been defeated and the em- the emperor had just been thrown down to the basement from the Death Star and the Death Star blown up. It felt just liberating. I feel. It just felt like a weight had been off everyone's back. And I think just to go on your point about the follow the foreign policy positions, you've already I think we've already seen a reset with certain foreign policy stances, rightly or wrongly. Obviously, there's the Iran situation. There has to be a reset with that. The tone needs dialing down. How will Israel react with that if the Biden administration goes down that route? There's obviously going to be a reset with the China policy, I believe. Obviously, the rhetoric was very harsh towards China under Trump, and there was the 
the trade war and obviously the rhetoric over the pandemic. I think with obviously with the Biden the Biden Harris ticket and how it was the swearing in and how they've conducted themselves. I think it's just a, a model for all politicians. And I think definitely in this country, we could learn a lot from Biden and Harris on how to conduct yourself when you're entering office, really. I just hope that the message that, that Biden said of opportunity, security, liberty, dignity, respect, honor, and yes, the truth, I hope it just stays, stays true over the next four years. Hopefully we don't get back to a situation where we fall back into the 2016 trap where, which saw the rise of a populist strongman in Trump. Yeah, maybe this is the high. Maybe that was the high watermark for that sort of politician. If the American electorate can see, do you know what? Not jumping up and down and shouting bile at everybody is quite nice to have in a president. And there's this going to be this sharp contrast between the two. We're more respected in the world. We feel like we are the shining beacon on the hill now, whereas before it was. A very much aggressive America first because we say so. Whereas America can be first on its own merits, on its own economic superpower status, on its own ingenuity. America can be first without any contest, but phrasing it's going to be America first and making it a sort of a way to dominate and a really sort of aggressive way of speaking. Really hoping that at least some of the people who, who, voted for Trump, those that perhaps held their nose and voted for Trump will be more inclined to back whoever it is, hopefully Kamala Harris in four years time, and will and we'll consider voting for them instead, because they can see, okay, this is what sensible, rational president behaves. I think we've seen a period in about 2017, every election that was coming around in every major Western democracy, like Austria and France, people that was always on a knife edge, everyone was like, Will it happen again? Will the, the far right party get in? And they didn't. They didn't get in. I don't think this, this strongman uh, politician that's been elected in in a few countries lasting, I don't say it lasting, because you look at Trump, he has been defeated. And he got defeated by a guy who Trump said that was Sleepy Joe and all this. He still lost to him. And in Brazil, look at Jal Bonsaro. He's he's had COVID himself, yet he's a COVID denier. I mean, it's just these people are getting found out. I mean, we, we discussed about Trump's policies and what he's implemented. He didn't do anything. He cut ties with things and he ended agreement that he just didn't like. And he brought in a tax bill. That's the only thing that he achieved. And they've all been overturned because mm. that's just how shallow they were. They weren't, he was too lazy to even implement these things through proper legislation. He was too lazy to reach across the aisles, as they call it in America. Do you know how hard it is to reach across the aisles when you've got to fit in 18, 18 rounds of golf? Well, exactly. Ex ex exactly. But 18 rounds <laughs> of golf? A round of golf. 18 rounds of golf is extraordinary. You look at history to obviously to guide you. Look at Reagan's administration. He worked with, across the aisles. He, he engaged with Tip O'Neill, the Democratic uh, Congress leader. And they had some famous battles, but they worked together. They worked well together. Uh, it's only obviously we've seen now is more polarized at the moment. But I suppose that's I suppose the strong man I think is on the way out. Right. Shall we shall we bring our attention to closer shores to what we can expect from Labour and the Tories in twenty twenty one? Because there are some there are some tasty contests this year. We've got the Wales Senate, uh, Scottish Parliament, quite a lot of local elections in England as well. We've got the London Assembly elections, the London mayoral elections. There's mayor, just mayoral elections across the country. So obviously, some that are quite marginal. Uh, obviously, the West Midlands mayoral election, Andy Street that's up for election. He's got a, a, a tough battle against 
Liam Byrne, Tees Valley mayoral election. There's obviously some really key races. It's whether they go ahead or not in May is the big is the big question. They will have to go ahead, obviously. Whether that is pushed back to more of a September October time when more people have been have more people have got the vaccine. I wonder if there would just be a, a real big push for postal votes though, like a real push about saying right, this is going to be you know the responsible way to vote is postal voting, guys. Let's do it. And if there's a real big push to try and boost turnout as, as much as possible, because we see we see pretty dire turnout in English local elections as it is, let alone during times like this. I suppose the argument there, you could say that America successfully had huge elections in the middle of a pandemic. It was a record turnout. Considerably more people came out to vote at this time in this election cycle in America. Could you not argue that if people are vaccinated by October, elections could go safely ahead? Perhaps if they're given, if obviously local authorities are given a lot of warning now, things can be, plans can be put into place about cleaning down the polling booths and things like that and learning from other countries that have had elections and seeing what they did. That's, you don't, you don't hear about an election that's happened where people have been a bit of a huge COVID spike. Knowing the look in this country, it would probably happen here, but I mean, it's... Yeah, and coming to the, the parties, Labour and Conservatives, I thought it might be good to do something about one reason for optimism, one for concern, and a bold prediction for, for the year for both of them. So I'm happy to kick, kick things off. Um, so starting with the Tories. So one reason for optimism, I mean, you don't see how you could have anything other than um, the vaccine. The COVID, because clearly it's all that they've been able to do so far is handle the crisis and they need it to work. And so far, like they've, you have to say, there's not been any large problems, um, as it has been with most of the other pandemics. So, so far, kudos for, for being, they're on track to what they, they said they would be. I guess moving on to the concern, COVID. The, the fact that these new strains that seem to be emerging and variations, the vaccine might not work for them. That's very concerning. And that really needs to, I mean, in my view, COVID's going to be with us for a very long time. And we're going to have to learn to deal with this. That's concerning for them because, especially within their own party, there's huge pressure with, you know, lifting restrictions as soon as possible. And I think that's going to be a real issue. Um, for the for the for Boris Johnson, my bold prediction for the Conservatives in twenty twenty one, a cabinet reshuffle, might not be that bold actually, but um, that's a that's a very safe. I thought you were going to say something like we've we finally find out how many children Boris Johnson has. <laughs> I I really chickened out of that hot take. So my bold my bold assertion is. That there's going to they're going to get rid of Gavin Williamson. This is a man who has who has a tarantula in his office. Yeah, he's... I think my, my favourite thing about the about sort of what Tory MPs have in their office is um, Tom Tugendhat, who we've spoken about before, not on the, the podcast. For all the faults of Conservatives, I think he's reasonably sensible, but but he writes in Arabic on his whiteboard to stop people stealing his ideas basically wow he was in the intelligence corps so uh so he yeah he he's fluent in arabic so he if biden is the gandalf of, of lord of the rings gavin williamson is definitely the worm tongue at least worm tongue was fairly competent yeah if there's anything about the evil usually they have a good work ethic how can we talk how can we not mention social mobility 
and worm tongue in the same sentence. You know, look at what he got to. I, I guess I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle with, with the Tories. My optimism is more that we'll see a bit of a collapse towards polling day in Tory popularity because hopefully we'll see a resurgent Labour under Keir Starmer who's actually a proper adult and is a, it strikes me as a very, very impressive Prime Minister-in-waiting. I've got innumerable reasons to be concerned about Boris Johnson's Conservative Party because it's it's not this One Nation Conservative Party that he was telling people at the polls. You've got people pretty far on the right, like Priti Patel, Dominic Raab, Gavin Williamson, in high office, and they are not getting turfed out despite quite clearly making calamitous errors, losing thousands and thousands of police records, bullying staff... Uh, up exams you know you had one job gavin picking up exams again completely fumbling this food parcel disaster that is one of the in a, in a strong field is possibly the most insulting thing that this government has done my optimism is that we wake up and the papers start putting some pressure because he's a bit too unpalatable but that is extremely naive i can i can sense as i'm saying it uh, my cause for concern is, I'll take a different tack, my cause for concern is that they diminish our standing on the world stage by alienating our closest allies. That is Europe at the end of the day. We trade more with the EU than we do with anybody else. Um, obviously, we're geographically, we're closer, we've got more shared history. If the proverbial hits the fan, it's going to be it's going to be NATO, it's going to be Europe that's that's there and my concerns are that we're going to see this sort of jingoistic soundbite throwaway comment rhetoric from johnson and and his supporters and it's going to upset people and i'm glad that there was a sensible solution hashed out by the spanish government and the gibraltarian government because i wouldn't trust that in johnson's hands no way my bold guess i guess for what's going to happen this year i suspect they're actually going to do really quite well in the elections, even though I, I'm optimistic for people to start piling on the heat a little bit more and for Labour to start picking up steam. But I've been looking at some some polling data this afternoon and they are buoyant, to say the least. They are up 4.5% in Wales from the last election to now. There's January polling done between the 11th and 14th of January. In Scotland, they will they will still be the second largest party if the current polling sees through and will sort of s- cement their place as the, as the party of the union in Scotland, um, because Labour under Richard Lennon, uh, Richard Leonard, sorry, a privately educated Englishman, absolutely tanked. But hey, you know, he was loyal to Corbyn, so he was the right man for the job, right? I, th- I think they're going to hold it quite well. The, they just get all the voters that don't want independence, don't they? There's a clear distinction between the SNP policy decisions aside from independence and the conservatives there's there's more in common obviously between the SNP and Labour and the Lib Dems but now now that the UK has left the European Union and that membership of the European Union was was a keystone of the better together campaign because oh if Scotland if you leave then you're going to not be in the European Union and your economy is going to be f- without that any longer i just think that there are fewer reasons for anybody who is on the left to vote for a unionist party so i think my prediction for the smp is that they'll they'll continue to do extremely well with anybody who is even vaguely on the left and 
hoover at votes if unionism is a red line for you the biggest party for that is the tories i think with the i think with the tory party i think the big thing for them is they will have been in power for 11 years this this may and 14 years by the time of the next election the polls are averaging pretty well in their favor i mean these are like midterm times pandemics going on they've botched a load of things and they're still holding up to around but they're still averaging to around about 38 to 39 percent in the polls they just survive they they can just recharge and they can just morph into something else i mean how many versions of the tory party have we seen whilst in government uh, you know we've seen the the cameron formation of where it was trying to be big society and, and then we had obviously the version of where cameron was trying to be a bit more right wing and then there was the referendum and then may came in and she's trying to be like some the good that state could do with a bit more of an old school conventional conservatism then you get with the the more populist version of conservatism with with johnson but i think it, the, the key thing for them is they've become more right wing as time has gotten on and that has allowed them to put on more and more votes they've gained at every election since 1997 i think that's a remarkable feat considering that they were dead in the dumps whilst new late in the early in the new labor days then they came back and now they've become more more popular and they're putting on more votes so they're a very resurgent party and that's the that's the tricky positive aspect for them i think that's the, the most positive thing for them the thing they've got going for them is they've been able to manipulate voters into believing everything that they say to a certain degree and even though they bit this is a fourth term tory government they get on like a first term government that's the that's the probably the positive to look at for the for the tory party i think one negative is i think the current handling of the pandemic obviously i think there's huge problems ahead for them and whether they can navigate out of that I think we've seen, obviously, Richie, Rishi Sunak, who's been held up as this golden boy and who's had a, a good pandemic in quote-unquote terms. Uh, but he ultimately is a Thatcherite, and he has been trying to get away from these the COVID-related support schemes that have been put in place. And he's, he's wants, he wants to get away from them. He's been trying to do that since March 2020. And obviously, Johnson being... Johnson not being a Thatcherite and having this new this uh, epiphany that is no longer he isn't a Thatcherite he is some old reformist uh, Tory uh, Tory Prime Minister I think that they're going to run into some pretty choppy waters their relationship there's the Steve Baker and Mark Harper COVID recovery group which is agitating for the lockdown rules to be uh, eased and I don't see that how that's sensible with the current recommendations how the virus is going um, obviously with this variant. Uh, the news today about the new variant uh, on the 22nd of January about it being the, the new variant being more deadly. That's the, the the problem there. I think if they've a lot of red wall Tory MPs are apparently very nervous. I think as Kieran has said, I think that that's what their main issue is that they don't want these support schemes to to go and a mass unemployment like we've never seen before. Businesses going bust, and I think that's the that's the worry. I think that's where the the, the tricky area for them that's i think that's the negative but i think in terms of the, the elections i don't think they've got too much to concern to worry themselves i think if independence polling goes to around about 65 percent, i think then it becomes very difficult but obviously in terms of referendums i think our perceptions of them have been skewered a little bit because johnson will not call a referendum and he will not grant a referendum to the smp if he thinks he's going to lose because he's going to be expected to win that referendum if he has called it to defend the union they are the Conservative and Unionist Party. He is going to be expected to win that, even if he's behind considerably in the polls, which he probably will be. So he isn't going to call that referendum. So I think it's 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 unlikely that they're, they're going to have too much of a difficult year in terms of the elections. I do think Labour will probably make some moderate gains in the elect in the local elections. I think that's going to be inevitable. You know, I mean, you never know. We've seen we've seen it before, but I th I think 
I think Johnson's going to have a bit more of an easy buy with those elections. And I think, I think the interesting thing is with these with Tory leaders is they seem to to shake off the election local election results. They don't see it as such a bad thing when it's a Labour in a local election result and they're doing terribly. Even when they're in government, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, Corbyn, Ed Miliband, they all perceived as getting weaker or having a worse ride in the media. And I think in terms of like, just go back to my point about referendums and how that's been skewered, our perceptions. David Cameron was a very arrogant prime minister. And you could see that with the, the, we can do a podcast on this probably, all the Tony confidence and hubris and arrogance. Because David Cameron called the Scottish referendum and he called the EU referendum. He didn't think we were going to lose both. But that was, that was his arrogance really and his shallowness and not really thinking far ahead. The Scottish referendum, though won comfortably, had a very rocky moment. And the European referendum, obviously, I think we were always going to lose, always Remain was going to lose that. I still cannot get my head around the fact that he said, don't worry about this European referendum that I've put on the cards. I'm not going to win a, a majority. I'll have to partner up with the Lib Dems again. And I'll say, mainly put this on ice as part of forming a coalition. Is there a more reckless thing that a prime minister post-war has done than that to win, what, 10% of the electorate? Imagine if that was a, t- a Labour Prime Minister trying to keep on side Middle England and the Daily Mail. When they're in government, Labour Prime Ministers, you look at Blair and Brown, certainly Tony Blair, even with his huge majorities and his huge wins, he walked very carefully. He, he was very cautious in his approach and not, not trying to those those the, the Middle England votes, as we saw it in the, in the Daily Mail from having a go at the sun. Whereas a, a Tory prime minister can get away with these things, that, that arrogance really, that certainly a, a public school Tory prime minister can get away with those things. They have that sort of hubristic mindset and that arrogance to them where they, they can't really be challenged on, does it really matter to them whether they called a, a referendum on Europe or a referendum on the sake of the union? It's just very shallow, vain purposes. So I mean, I've reason to ask a bit optimistic. They are, the Tory party are survivors. They can resurge into any, morph into anything that they want at any given time. They've been able to do that in a very short space of time when, when it's needed to be for electoral purposes. Bad side, I think, obviously, the response to the pandemic. I think also that a bold prediction for me, I think I'm probably just going to say it just for the sake of it, Johnson not being prime minister, but Ooh. I think that's very unlikely. Two letters have been handed in to the 19 chair. 1922 committee chair. You never know. Who takes who takes his place? Jeremy Hunt. Maybe maybe Hunt's not a bad shout. Actually, been pretty good as select committee chair of, of health. I have to say, Govey Gove will no doubt be there as always, throwing his hat in the ring. Yeah, well that would be that would be spicy. I, I do agree with you. I would go on that that by the next election it, it will not be Boris Johnson um, leading the party. But yeah, who knows? Maybe it will be this year. Have you heard the wasp cake analogy by David Mitchell? Uh, one of the times he was on Have I Got News For You? And he says, like, you know, when you go for a picnic and and you get everything out and the uh, there's always something that the insects just gravitate to. Like there's a cake that the wasps go to and you're like, OK, the wasps are happy with the cake over there. They could have that cake because whilst they're eating the cake, they're not interested in the rest of the picnic that's fine that's the wasp cake and the point he was making that at the time that uh, prescott was the, the wasp cake of labor and i suspect boris johnson could be the wasp cake of the conservative party as long as the people who've got problems with boris johnson keep it personal about him he can absorb all of that criticism and then when he's kicked out of the door nothing will stick nothing will be about the, the policy of the party this party which has dragged us out of Europe, 
with a last minute deal that completely undermines the just in time logistics necessary for manufacturing in this country, you know, for any sort of international supply chain and played with European citizens' rights as bargaining chips. And this government risked the union and this government has handed money over, hand over fist to any firm to make PPE, including a sweets firm and including companies that had never made it before. And they've ran off with hundreds of millions of pounds of taxpayer money, whilst at the same time giving private companies £30 to buy £5 worth of food like we spoke about last time. This is all this government's doing. They've had all the cards for a long time and they've an overall majority now that Cameron could only dream of and it's in the hands of Johnson oh oh he's, he's just banter because he's been on have I got news for you no I think people are gonna people are gonna treat it like a like he is the person who is culpable for the government's mistakes and that will make it very appealing for the conservatives if they go down in the polls to a resurgent Keir Starmer to say, right, okay, Johnson's, Johnson looks like a bit of a clown in front of Keir Starmer. Let's get rid of him and let's get an adult in. That is my concern. I think the criticism has to has to stay on the this government's track record, which is not the best, to put it mildly, that has failed the most vulnerable people in society and have alienated our allies and all this other, all the rest of it. This this happens when Boris Johnson got elected. The disastrous. Theresa May years with the failed negotiations, the, the loggerheads in, in the Commons and utter chaos and Boris Johnson comes in. That wasn't me. That wasn't my Conservative party. You know, I, th- I thought it was just really interesting, actually, Adam, when you were saying about everything that the Tories have done whilst they've been in power. And it's a problem for Labour, I think, at the moment for with the Tory parties. There is a perception out there, I think, within the media. I don't, I don't subscribe to all this mass me- the, the, the mass media being against progressive politics or anything like that. But I think it's much more difficult, evidently. There is this perception in this country that the Tories run things better than anybody else. The evidence is to the contrary, really, over recent years. And I'm, by recent years, I mean over the last decade. It is very difficult for Keir Starmer where to go for. And I think he needs to look to, obviously, Blair, Wilson, Attlee, look at the their persuasive approach at the time, that particular time in history, where they offered a, a story of renewal and change. Keir Starmer really needs to tap into that. And unfortunately, for many, many reasons, his predecessors were not able to tap into that. Okay, well, I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to call it a day there thank you for listening we've been centrist dads not all centrists not all dads find us on social media on facebook on twitter and give us a like share it to somebody who you think will enjoy it or if you don't like somebody and you think they'll hate it share it with them um just share it around so it's goodbye from me in valencia it's goodbye from kieran in sandbach Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Alex in the North Midlands. Goodbye. Dishy Rishi, help 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 out to eat the virus. Was it help out? Dishy. This is going at the end after the music is played. This is going in. Dishy Rishi and his help out. Eat out to help out. Sit or die. Me sideways.